morning will be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And before we go to God's Word, let's go together in prayer. <clears throat> and Father God, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You have chosen to reveal Yourself to us, to condescend to our language, to give us truth for our growth and for our transformation. We pray that even now You would send Your Spirit to open this word up to us and us to it, that we would see Christ and his gospel and be changed. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, I love Pixar movies. And to help you get your mind where this text is going to go today, I want to put your mind onto a Pixar movie. It was kind of a prequel called Monsters University. Monsters, Inc. came out years and years ago, the Monsters University came out last summer, and on, on his birthday, I took Joseph and a group of guys from the church to see Monsters University. So anybody not know anything about the Monsters, Inc., Monsters University? I say this, you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. You have no idea. Okay, well, all right, so for those of you who've been, you know, in Mars in a cave with your fingers in your ears and your eyes closed, all right, so Pixar, Monsters University, okay, boys and girls, let, let's, let's help out mom and dad here, okay? It's, it posits this idea of a parallel world of monsters, that they have cars and technology like we do, and they are powered. Their energy source is from the screams of children, right? How pleasant and lovely, right? So, but they do a good job making it funny. So, and closet doors are the gateway between the two worlds, and so the professional athletes, the movie stars, the big famous people are the big scarers of their world who go and collect all this energy. And so that's Monsters, Inc. Monsters University is these guys in training trying to be one of those big dogs, and you meet two guys. You meet, you meet Sully, and you meet Mike. Now, Mike is little, and he's not scary at all, but he's really rambunctious, and he's really studious, and he's so, he's driven, and he wants to be, so he studies and studies and studies, but poor thing is just not scary. He, he just, he, you look at him, and you're, you want to hug him. You don't, you're not at all frightened by him. On the other hand, you have Sully. Sully comes from a family of scarers. He's like third-generation performing scarer. Everybody knows his family is great, and because he's got this big leg up, professors take it easy on him at school. He gets into the best fraternity without even trying, and because of that, his favored status that he has, he is lazy. He doesn't try. He doesn't do anything. He just assumes on his status, and it ends up that people start passing him, and all of a sudden, he can't go on just talent alone. He actually has to you know, like do skill and work on his craft, and because he's lazy and unmotivated, it's not until a massive event happens in his life that forces him to step up into who he is and really work out the talent that he has. And that's right where this text is going to take us today when we get to it. Paul has talked about so far in this chapter that a proper understanding of the gospel is adding nothing to Christ. That you and I and Christians of all ages and false teachers especially are tempted to add things to the gospel. False teachers come and they do it blatantly trying to deceive. You and I tend to do it because we like to take what we like and add it to the gospel. And so we, we end up thinking things even though we know it's not right. We still act that way. Well, it's, it, it's believe in Jesus and vote this way. And it's believe in Jesus and dress this way. Believe in Jesus and sing these type of songs. And we find ourselves even against our own will sometimes, adding things to the gospel, saying Jesus plus something, 
Paul says that's not the gospel. And that destroys the gospel. That we are counted righteous before God because of the work of Jesus Christ alone, not our works. Not by any religious or moral works we perform. The grace of the gospel is based on the performance of Christ. Hallelujah. Paul then focuses them on the reality of the resurrection. He says this is the whole point of Christianity. That all of those who are united to Christ by faith will be raised with him. And we can know we're part of that group we saw last time. We can know that we're united to Christ when we share with Jesus in his sufferings in this life. When we seek to honor God with our lives. And all of that is powered by the resurrection to which we hope. So seeing that resurrection power in our lives we saw last week means that we can have confidence there'll be resurrection power in our death. And that's all so good. The grace is amazing, and it should drive us to worship our Creator for the beauty of the gospel. When we really get the fact that we get to have the resurrection because of what Jesus Christ has done, we should be waking up on Sunday morning ready to come to public worship. and be like, hallelujah, I cannot wait. Yes, thank you, Lord. Your grace is amazing. However... Let us be candid, right? The 11th commandment, do not lie to thyself. There's often another reaction that we good Christian folk have to God's amazing grace, don't we? Like Sully the monster taking advantage of his privileges, there's a laziness inside of Christians that takes advantage of grace, isn't there? The idea that, hey, we're righteous in the gospel, man. We're counted as sinless in Christ. So it doesn't matter how we live our lives. We are forgiven. And, and, and there's a sense in which technically that might be kind of true, sort of. You know, it's, it's the idea of, I've heard, fire insurance, Christianity, right? Let's take care of this big event, and then now we can not have to worry about it for the rest of our lives. Yep, I said the magic words. I, I came down. I said the prayer. I did whatever. They, and now I've got that taken care of, so this is mine to play with. It's an immature faith. It leaves us with no joy. Paul presses the case to these Christians at Philippi who are struggling. Even while he is in jail, he presses the case. They should have joy. There's a fountain of joy available to them today. And the root of their lack of joy is in this kind of lazy, apathetic, taking advantage of grace. So all of us, I think, could use a little bit more joy in our lives. And so let's, with that in mind, let's look together at this text and see what he has to tell us. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. This is God's word. Not that I have already obtained this. He's talking about the resurrection power in verse 11. Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And this is God's Word. So boys and girls, make sure you have your yellow copy here of your uh, 
children's bulletin. You have your own translation in there. We're going to look at a couple times. And verse 15 here is the key. Paul is defining a mature faith. What does it look like to have a mature faith? I want to give you something to kind of hang your hats on. Um, family worship later this afternoon or perhaps over lunch, you know, you're going over what the sermon was about. Here's what the sermon's about today. The gospel causes a passion for Jesus. And once we embrace that, we'll grow up and chase after him. You see, a mature faith comes from a gospel-based passion. And it creates a gospel-based unity. So let's see what we have there. First, a mature faith comes from a gospel passion. Starts out with Paul saying rather blatantly, look, I am not there yet. I have not arrived. I have not attained this. And did you catch that? Right away, first thing Paul says. Paul, the uber-Christian, right? Paul, who just last week said he was the, you know, Captain Church. Paul, who's surname is what? The Apostle. He says, hey, I'm a work in progress still. Doesn't that encourage you? Boy, it did me as I was studying it this week. I said, wow, if Paul the Apostle says, looks at his life and says, I'm still a work in progress, that means it's okay when I look at my life and say, I have not arrived yet either. It's okay to clearly see that we need to move on and do better. See, this desire to move on, this desire to press on, this desire to be a work in progress and to make progress is rooted in grace. Look with me at the second half of verse 12. Paul says what? He says, he presses on. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. The idea here of making his own is actually the idea of capturing This is, think of raiders coming in and taking prisoners. Or think of pirates grabbing treasure. He says, Jesus Christ has come in and grabbed me and made me his own. An ancient pastor from Turkey, writing about 400 AD, said, He caught me in his net like I was a fleeing bird. Isn't that a great picture? Of you fleeing after all this stuff and and Christ just comes and says, Mine. Doesn't that give you a great picture of your salvation? To think about, it's not that... You know, I looked at the options. I got my slide rule out, or excuse me, the slide rule app out. And, you know, I, I think Jesus is the best path. And so I'm going to walk after this path. And if you have that mentality, something shiny can come along and say, ooh, that might be a better path. But the Bible says, no, you are actually already on the path going, Jesus schmeezes. And Jesus said, no, I don't think so. You're mine. Kind of like what you did Lazarus. Remember we said the Lazarus? Lazarus like dead going. No, no, Lazarus, come forth. You're mine. You live now. Paul says, he grabbed me out of my religious deadness of works, thinking I was righteous, and made me his own. He captured me. I'm a prisoner, and I'm so glad for it, is what Paul says. That is the grace of the gospel that anchors us. Paul roots the activity he's about to talk about in the grace, that by grace, Christ captured me. So he's not calling us in these next few verses to perform and work our way into God's family. He's saying, no, I've already been made into God's family, and here's what it looks like to be a member of God's family. Boys and girls, would you look with me at your verse 12 and read along with me? Here's what, or read as I read. It says this, I have a long way to go to be a godly man. I am far from perfect, but I chase after godliness, hoping to catch it, just like Jesus Christ caught me. 
See, boys and girls, Paul wants to do more for Christ because Jesus has rescued him first. We never seek to earn God's love. We love God because he first loved us and we want more of him. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul says, because I have been captured, I press on. It's the idea of pursuing. It's the idea of running after. It's actually the idea of chasing something. It's almost the picture I had in mind when I was studying this week of Jesus coming up and capturing us in a net, changing our identity, saying, now you're mine. And then he goes, tag, and he runs off. And so you're supposed to, oh, go get Jesus now. It's an active view of the Christian life rather than passive. Do you consider the Christian life to be active? Have you ever thought of, of Jesus making you one of his own and say, okay, you ready? Here's what discipleship looks like. Because I've saved you, now you're mine. Here's discipleship, you ready? Tag, you're it, and Jesus takes off. And you get to run after him. I love that picture of Christianity is this active game of tag. Because the New Testament is clear. Salvation by grace does not mean we have arrived so we can just coast through life. We are called to work for God's glory in the Christian life. Now, it's easy to misunderstand that. I mean, just last passage, if you were here just last week, didn't Paul say that all his religious efforts were garbage, right? So it would be very easy for us to just disregard any religious activity, any kind of striving. Well, Paul says it's garbage, so I don't have to do nothing. But we clearly see Paul here striving and chasing after a goal. He's exerting himself. Paul is straining himself in this passage to have a mature, robust relationship with Christ. He calls it the upward call of God in verse 14. He wants that. Not an empty religious formalism of you know, Sunday morning attendance, but he really wants to know Christ. So how does he do it? Look with me about the middle of verse 13. Here's, here's what Paul says. Here's how I do it. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul's emphatic here. He goes, look, I can't earn salvation, but there's something I can do. I can let go of the past and I can strain forward the future. See, there's an active part of our Christian growth. The idea of let go and let God. Okay, candid time. How many people have heard that in your life? Let go and let God. Come on, raise your hand. I know you've all heard it, right? Okay, that has nothing to do with your growth in Christ. That is about trusting God when things are falling apart and you are tempted to anxiety and stress. That's when you let go and let God. Okay, growing in Christ is not let go and let God. Growing in Christ is grab on and chase after. Big difference. Don't let go and let God to grow. Grab on and chase after is what Paul is saying. Strain forward, chase after. You know, in a changing culture, in a changing economy, with, with a town and, and a church that are, how should we put it, not as lively as they perhaps used to be, let's say, it, it's easy to look back at the glory days, isn't it? It's easy to look back and miss what God is doing today in the church, and in our city because we don't let go and strain forward. But that's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. There's something even more profound. 
There's a clear athletic image. You have to remember that the running games, the the track and field stuff was the football and NBA of the ancient world. Every city had public games. People saw this. And so Paul making an analogy to a runner. And what's he saying? He's saying, look, when you go down to the track and you watch the races, do you ever see the runners take off and all of a sudden he's looking behind him at the starting blocks? No. Is he looking around at the other runners? No. He's looking straight ahead to the goal. And what's he doing? You, you've all seen it in the Olympics, right? They're right there at that, at that finish. What are they doing if they're close to somebody else? They're straining everything forward to cross the finish line first, right? That's exactly what he says. Get that image from the, the Olympics last summer in your mind right now of an athlete straining, trying to cross that line first. And that's what Paul says the Christian life is like. How many of us have actually thought of the Christian life as that strenuous? He says, I press on because the Christian life is a race. He's pursuing after this. He's chasing after Christ because he gets the gospel. And when you and I get the gospel, we want more of Christ. Boys and girls, look with me at your verses 13 and 14 so you don't miss this. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, my friends, I can't say that I have caught up to Jesus, but I can do this. I forget the past, and I stretch out my hands today, chasing after the prize that Jesus earned for his people. Can you see it in your mind, boys and girls? Can you see chasing after something, and you're almost there, you want to catch it? That's what the Bible says Jesus is for us. He's this prize right there. We're supposed to just catch it. Paul calls it the upward call, and the upward call of God is daily, for those of us born again. In every moment of our lives, we are called to live in the reality of the gospel if we know Christ. We're we're called to place our gaze on the exalted Christ, to find our purpose in Him, not in the momentary pleasures of this world that distract us so much. We look around. No, we focus on the goal. You see, all this athletic imagery right now, all this chasing after, all this pursuing, all this stuff right now, if you're paying attention and not, your mind's not wandering too much, if you don't get the gospel, you're kind of confused and discouraged right now. Effort and straining and chasing, those concepts just exhaust you just thinking about it. Like, I am barely holding my life together, Pastor Sean, and I come to church to get some relief, and you're telling me to work harder? <laughs> I'm telling, who do I tell? You see, if you're not rooted in the fact that by his grace, God has united a people to himself, that God has made us righteous through faith in Christ, not our efforts, that he says, you are now my family, and all this effort stuff is about after you're in the family, not getting in the family. If you don't get that, you are totally discouraged right now. You have not gotten the reality that Christ has grabbed onto you, has seized you, and you're exhausted at the idea of chasing after him. That's all you need is one more thing in your life to try to chase after to give you peace and hope. What you're picturing right now, if I can set your mind back to a picture from many of your childhoods, I want you to, here's what you're thinking of the Christian life is right now if you you don't get the gospel. And many of you are doing this. That's That's why I'm belaboring this. I want you to set your mind to a cartoon background. I want you to see a painted red desert. 
I want you to see a desolate desert highway. And I want you to hear those ubiquitous American Looney Tunes sounds that we all recognize. You ready? I want you to hear, meep, meep. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I want you to see in the mirror yourself as Wiley Coyote. And you see the peace and love and joy of Christianity just take off down the road. Meep, meep. And you're like, time to call Acme, right, and get a rocket ship or something. Okay. See, that's the picture you have with all this athletic activity, isn't it? That is not it. That is not Christianity. That's not the picture Paul is painting. So get that out of your mind. See, when we get the gospel, that by placing your faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ, that he grabs onto us and he won't let us go, his love, his acceptance are complete. They're total. He doesn't leave us in the dust and say, okay, catch me and I'll save you. He says, no, now that I've caught you, let's play tag. You're it. We should want to know more of him and say, okay, I want to know more of this Christ who saved me. Once you see that I can't do anything by performing for him, once that idea sinks with your heart, then you'll say, I want to know more of this Christ. What does it take to know more of this Christ? We will dive into that relationship by grace. See, instead of striving to earn God's favor, we will press on to know more of our Redeemer and the power that he makes available in our life. We want to gain Christ and be found in him as we saw last week. And so we chase after Christ because he's captured us this week. Oh, here's a different picture I think Paul would give you if he were here in our culture to do this. I want you to think of roller coasters. I want you to think of the big glass ball. And I want you to see Looney Tunes competitor Disney and ears. And I want you to think of walking into Disney World. But I want you to think about it this way, the best way to go to Disney World. Sorry, parents, I'm about to disappoint you. I want you to think about going to Disney World as a teenager with your friends and no parents. Uh, see, there you go, right? You can't afford it. Your parents paid for you to go there. You had to be taken there and the entrance fee paid by somebody else. But once you're in the park, what do you do at Disney World? Well, of course, you go and you sit down at the opening bench like, I arrived at Disney World. I'm staying here. I did it. I'm at Disney World. Is that how you do Disney World? If so, you got a problem. <laughs> There's something wrong with you, right? <clears throat> no, you get up and you go play, right? You grab your best friends who are there with you, no parents, and you just go nuts at the best parts of the park. Maybe it's you want to see everything and exhaust yourself. You go right ahead. Maybe you want to do what me and my friends did, and you ride, you go, Thunder Mountain Railroad, Space Mountain, Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain, Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain, lunch, Thunder Mountain, okay? That's what we did over and over and over again. Maybe it's taking in all the shows you can because that's where the air conditioning is. But see, someone else paid the entry for you, right? So the best way you honor them is by getting the most out of being there. That is what Paul is saying by chase after Christ. Someone else has paid for you to get there and you honor them the most by making the most out of being there. Paul is in one of those old Disney commercials. You remember those Disney commercials? They, they, they talk to the sports guy who just won the race or, or the athlete who just won the Super Bowl. Remember those old commercials? Can't you see it? Here's what Paul's saying. Paul, you just got knocked off your horse by the Holy Spirit and struck blind. 
You, you've been given a new understanding of the gospel. What are you going to do now? And Paul's like, I'm going to Disney World. Okay? That's what Paul's saying. I just got grace. I'm going to Jesus World. Let's chase after him. See, Jesus Christ has gotten you into his family by grace. Paul didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. You have to receive it as a gift by faith. And once you do, you chase after that gift because it's just so good. Paul wants to experience as much of Christ right now as he can. He's not just waiting to die to see Jesus in heaven. He wants to know him right now. Can I just say, many of you Christians in the room, you need to treat your Christianity like Disney World. You really do. And when you do that, you need to further admit that you have never actually really chased after Christ passionately. And that's why you're bored, dissatisfied, prone to complain, and break the fellowship of the body through pettiness. Because you're bored. But joy is available to you. Get off the bench at the entryway and go ride the rides with enthusiasm. And you'll have more of Christ and you'll know what to do with. And you will have joy. <clears throat> so if I, if I can just talk to the Christians for just a second, Christians only. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you can cover your ears, let your mind wander. You know why many of you are not joyful right now? Because you're bored. Christianity is not supposed to make us lazy and wait for heaven. The glory of Christ, the beauty of grace should capture our hearts so we strive to know more of Christ and experience more of Christ right now. But we do this, don't we? This apathetic autopilot that we slip into, can we be honest with ourselves, with our marriages and our kids and our jobs until you know, it's time for the annual review, we, we slip into with Christianity as well, don't we? We kind of just go on autopilot where it's just passionless existing. Paul says no to that. Having Christ is Disney World, and he passionately wants to ride all the rides. He wants to know Christ, and that desire fuels the passion in his life. Are you tired of being bored and apathetic? in your life in general, Christianity specifically? See once again the crucified Lord of glory dying for your sins. See him raising up from the grave to give you life and capturing you even against your will and saying, sinner, you are now mine. Tag, you're it. And have passion to say, that's so awesome. Yes, I want to know more of that guy. Because Christ has captured us with his death and resurrection. And you know why Christ has captured us? Because God the Father wanted you. And so he sent Christ to capture you. Think about that for a second. God the Father said, I want that person. Christ, go get him. And so he does. How can you be apathetic about that? The gospel should cause a passion for Jesus Christ. And once we embrace that, we will chase after him. So Paul says a passion for the gospel yields mature disciples. And then he says that gospel unity then comes from having all these mature disciples. 
Paul sums up his teaching. He basically says, this is what a mature faith looks like. A joyful, passionate, chasing after Christ is maturity. If I were to ask you, what does a mature faith look like? Would that have been your answer? Would things about passion and chasing and tag and Disney World even been part of your answer for a mature faith? Or would you, oh, well, a, a mature faith, obviously, is very, because we're Presbyterians, it must be very somber, sober. Paul says, no, this is maturity. A reckless abandon to passion for Christ. Here's what he says. Look at me at verse 15. I gotta, you have to love how smooth he words this. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I love how Paul doesn't kind of, he doesn't really force his point, but he also stands firm. Don't misread this. He's not saying, well, this is what I believe, but you know, God can reveal whatever. No, God's saying, this is what the mature people believe. If you disagree, God will fix you. Did you catch that? If you disagree, God's going to fix you. This is what the adults think. So why don't you come on up with us? God will reveal your error to you. See, and that's where unity comes from to say, this is the truth, and we love you, but you're wrong. But we're not going to argue with you. God will reveal it to you in time, but the adults are moving on. And that's where unity comes from. So he says, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Here's what he's saying. Having arrived in the gospel, having been caught by Christ, now we give our whole heart to him. We embrace Christ as well. And when we do, we have unity around that, that we embrace Christ. And when we don't have unity, it's because we're embracing something along with Christ. Think about it. Last time you had a disagreement with someone in this church, or you heard about a disagreement in this church, was it about Jesus? Or was it about some tradition, some practice, the color of something, some habit that someone felt wasn't get enough attention paid to it? See, what Paul says here is those actively pursuing Christ have a unity around knowing more of Christ, and this other stuff just gets handled. Maybe you're looking at your heart right now, and you know that you're not passionate about Christ. I mean, you're a Christian. You know that. But, but it's kind of a boring, bland, passive passionless, meh kind of Christianity. It is not enough, dear Christian, to go through the motions of the Christian life. We must apply what we believe to our lives. You can squander your Christian life. You know that? You can. You can take advantage of grace, and you can live in a nostalgic apathy with no passion for Christ today. God will let you do that. And you can miss out on the journey of a passionate life, chasing after more of Christ, straining for him, living by faith, and seeing him do amazing things in your life. Or you can be bored and boring. The question is, will you embrace Christ? Boys and girls, look with me at the last verse there, verse 16. 
Here's how Paul sums it up. It's important that we live out the truth of the gospel. We are part of Jesus' family by grace, but we should want to work hard to be more like Jesus. If we are truly born again, Paul says we want to work hard to be like our Redeemer. Not to get into his family because he's made us into his family, so I want to be like him. The gospel should cause a passion in us. And once we embrace that passion, we will grow up and chase after him. So wrap all this up. Embracing the gospel. Living by grace should lead us into action and activity. A passion to know more of Christ should cause us to actively run to be faithful. Stumbling a lot, but getting back up and still chasing after because we rest on the grace that has captured us. Would a visitor to our church say, yes, that is Trinity, passion for Christ? If not, perhaps our sights are too low. Perhaps we've settled for a nice, safe, moral, decent, pleasant life. One where we seldom have to step out in faith. One where we're we're seldom driven to Scripture and prayer because we're not chasing after anything difficult. Oh, dear Christian, there is so much more available to you. Do you have passion or are you passionless and bored? The good news is that you can repent. You can admit that you're seeking peace and happiness and joy from the things of this life while holding on to Christ. You haven't abandoned the faith, but you're just not passionate about Christ for those things. And once you get that honest with God, ask Him to once again capture your heart. Embrace the truth you already know, dear Christian, that Jesus Christ lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you absolutely deserve to die because of your sin. And in His resurrection, He offers you life abundantly. He offers you the joy of His fellowship. Remember those truths. Embrace them and then seek to know more of that Christ because he has captured you by his grace. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, does your life seem pointless, seem purposeless? Does it seem kind of boring? I mean, sure, there's moments of peace and joy. We all have those, but they just don't last that long, do they? You can have passion. You can have purpose. You can hear the upward call of God through Jesus Christ right now, and you can embrace Him, and He will fulfill you. Even now, ask Him to capture you. There's nothing you can do to earn your place in His family, but by His grace, He can capture you. And then you can place your faith and trust in Him as your resurrected Lord. Even at this moment, Tell your creator that you're tired of trying to find joy and purpose in this life. That all the things you've put together just don't work to really make you happy. Ask him to take hold of you and make you his own. And he will. Believe in this gospel. And Christ can be yours.
for all of us. Let's once again ask the Lord to capture our hearts and let's hear him say, tag, you're it. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we admit that our hearts are fickle and that we look for loopholes. And Lord, we, when we hear the message of your grace, it makes us lazy very often. And Lord, when we hear a message that tells us that we're supposed to work and pursue, we forget grace and go after trying to earn your salvation. Lord, would you please, would you keep us from those two foolish ends? And would you help us walk the path of your gospel? that says you have captured us and you invite us to pursue you. Lord, give us a passion to know you, that we would experience the fellowship of your suffering and the power of your resurrection. Would you give us this mature faith, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?